Greetings in our Savior's name this evening. It's a joy to be with you this evening and worship the Lord together. When Brother Ben called me here a while back and wondered if I'd preach here this evening, I'd asked him if, if he had a title for me. And he, he did give me a title and he said I could use it or I could choose not to use it. Well, I chose to use your title that you gave me. So, the title of the message this evening is Behold the Lamb. So when Jesus is called the Lamb of God, it is referring to Him as the perfect and ultimate sacrifice for sin. In order to understand who Christ was and what He did, we must begin with the Old Testament, which contains prophecy concerning the coming of Christ as a guilt offering. In fact, the whole sacrificial system established by God in the Old Testament set the stage for the coming of Jesus who is the perfect sacrifice God would provide as atonement for the sins of His people. So I'm not sure where your mind goes when you think, think of a title like that. That phrase we have twice in the book of John, the Gospel of John. So y'all turn there with me. John chapter 1. So I looked up the definition of behold. And this is, this is what I got from that. It means to look at. It means to look and see. It means to gaze upon. It means to observe. To notice. To contemplate. And then a lamb. Lamb is a definition. The definition of a lamb is a young sheep. But the, but the one this evening... It's the title for Jesus that appears in the Gospel of John. So that's what we want to look at here this evening. Another thing we need to notice are the Old Testament sacrifices were incomplete in the animal blood offerings. So why is a sacrifice needed for sin? God commanded such sacrifice because He is holy. And mankind as sinners needed a costly way to have their sins covered. So they can be in a right relationship with God. Those who wanted to know God and fellowship with Him would by faith offer the sacrifices to have that relationship and fellowship with Him. Then we come to the New, New Testament and we see that Jesus Christ is the ultimate atonement for sin. So why did Jesus die? The death of Jesus was part of a divine plan to save humanity. The death and resurrection of this one man is at the very heart of the Christian faith. For Christians, it is through Jesus' death that pe people's broken relationships with God is restored. See, Jesus poured out His life. He poured out His life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors, we read in Isaiah. This means that he literally gave up his life and emptied himself so that we could become full. By laying down his own life, Jesus paid the price on our behalf, satisfying God's demand. This payment was made not to Satan, but God. And thirdly, the presence of sin renders us helpless. We believe that when Jesus died, the Lamb of God died on the cross, 
He was sacrificed for the sins of humankind. Jesus' death and resurrection were an act of atonement that healed the relationship between God and humanity that had been broken by sin. This allowed humans to be re reunited with God after death. John chapter 1, start reading at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That the true light, excuse me, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, for he hath declared him. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Esaias. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ? Nor Elias, neither that prophet, John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethbaria, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man, which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, 
And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. I'll stop reading there. So the theme in the first 14 verses, John repeatedly refers to Jesus Christ as the Word of God. He didn't refer to Him by His earthly name. Now He goes on and He speaks of Him by that earthly name. Verse 15. says, We have John's witness of Christ. It says, John bear witness of Him. John testifies concerning Him and cries out, This is He of whom I spoke. He says, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. See, when John was out, John the Baptist was out in the region of Jordan baptizing people, we are told he would tell the people about the one who was going to come after him. He would tell the people that the one coming after him was greater than him. The one who would be on the scene after his ministry was greater than him because he was before him. And that refers to the fact that Jesus existed for all eternity. Then he goes on in verse 16. It says, From the fullness of grace, of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. We have received grace for grace. See, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 16, And of His fullness have all we received and grace for grace. And of His fullness, we have received that grace. We have received an outpouring of grace. We have received an abundance, an overflow of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. God favors you and I through the outpouring we have received. Grace upon grace. And He continues to favor us. Not because we are good or that we deserve it, but because of His grace. Because of His character of grace, He has poured out His grace to us. Verse 17, we see that Moses brought us the law. Moses also brought us instruction as well as the law. And it revealed a way for men to be forgiven as they approach God through the sacrificial system. The law was always external. The sacrificial system that God implemented for the Jews was incomplete in the fact that it was outside the man. It wasn't internal. That was the problem with the law. It was incomplete. It was also temporary, and that is evidenced by the fact that God allowed the temple to be destroyed and the sacrificial system to come to an end. Paul revealed to us in the New Testament that the blood of goats and bulls can never take away sin. A better sacrifice was necessary. A sacrifice that would atone for sin once and for all. The sacrificial system that Moses brought was incomplete and over time the rabbis, had, they would twist it and tweak the law. Jesus came to him and said, you teach the law and heap burdens on people's backs that you wouldn't even consider carrying yourself. They knew it was unreasonable, but yet they taught it year after year. And lastly, the, the law wasn't able to save them. 
Paul tells us in Romans that no one would be considered righteous in God's sight by simply keeping the law. The law cannot save you. It was never intended to save. Keeping the law won't save you. In contrast, John tells us here that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He's basically saying that Jesus came and embodied that undeserved favor, that grace. Remember that Jesus also came and completed the law. He completed the types and the symbols that the law brought us. God also communicated with His people, Israel, that there's death involved with forgiveness. All those animals that died as a symbolic representation of what would once come in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ Himself. They were just a picture of the death that Jesus would suffer on our behalf. Jesus came to fulfill the law and complete the law. When it says that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, it means that the truth of all those Old Testament signs and symbols is all fulfilled in Jesus. They're all just types and shadows of things that were to come. Another thing about the grace and truth that Jesus brought, and that was something that was different from the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was external, where this is an internal truth. When we receive, receive Christ into our hearts, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. It is internal. It happens inside of us, in our hearts. And as we read God's Word, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through His Word. Verse 18 says, No man hath seen God at any time. Moses and others heard His voice and saw the cloud and the fire, which were symbols of His presence. But such a manifestation of God as had now taken place in the person of Jesus Christ, it had never been before been revealed to the world. Moses came out and told God, I want to see your face. God said, Moses, you can't because you can't see my face and live. Exodus 33, let me turn there if you like. Verse 17 to 20. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall, for there shall no man see me and live. Back to John 1, verse 18, he said, No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son. It tells us that God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, hath declared Him or explained Him. That means we can know what God is like. 
the reason we can know is that God has sent His Son in His likeness as a testimony of Him. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. We have the Gospels. Read the Gospels. It gives us a picture of who God is like. Jesus would tell those around Him, I and the Father are one. Read that in John 10.30. It says, you have seen me, you have seen the Father. One time Philip, one of the twelve, told Jesus, show us the Father. And that was towards the end of his, towards the end of his ministry. John 14, 9. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the sakes of the works. So to us as believers, we know that Jesus Christ is still revealing the Father to you and I through His Spirit in our hearts. Even though it says here that no one has seen the Father, that's true. We haven't seen the Father, but we can know the Father. We know who He is. We know what He is like. We know what He dislikes. We know how He feels about sin. We know how He feels about righteousness. We know how that He loves people. We know the extent that He will go to to show that love. We have the Gospels. The Gospels show us Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John show us what the Father is like. Then verses 19 to 22, we have John's testimony. The Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him. They asked the question, Who art thou? Jesus told the Jewish leaders who he was not. He emphatically said, I am not the Christ. He did not come to focus attention on himself because he was not the Messiah. His job was to point to the Messiah. Verse 23, John said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. John the Baptist declared that he was nothing more than a forerunner. He was essentially saying to them, I'm here to get things ready. I'm just a forerunner of the one who is to come. Make straight or prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for Him. Verse 24, the Pharisees questioned Him. He says, Why do you then baptize if you're not the Christ, or one of the important people. They wanted to know by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority? They also did the same thing to Jesus and asked, by what authority do you do these things? Who gave you that authority? 
And Jesus knew what the underlying current was behind the question. Who gave you this authority? It was we are in charge and we didn't approve you. It was the same way with the religious leaders and the Pharisees. They were saying to John the Baptist, we are in charge and we didn't approve you to go out to the Jordan and baptize. John explained his work. His work was to prepare the way of the Lord. His baptism prepared people, cleansing them for the coming King. Verse 26, John answered them saying, I baptize with water. John's baptism demonstrated the humble willingness to repent, to be cleansed and prepare for the coming Messiah. Yet John's baptism gave nothing to help someone remain clean or to keep clean. The work of Jesus and His baptism of the Holy Spirit represents more than John's baptism. There stands one among you whom you do not know. He is here. He is here and you're not even aware of it. He is the one who comes after me. In verses 26 and 27, John wants us to know the testimony of John the Baptist was that Jesus was coming and was so much superior to him that John said, I'm not worthy to loosen his shoes. In this culture, the job of loosening your shoes and then washing your feet belonged to the lowliest of all the household servants. Not only was this job set aside for the lowliest servant, but this job was a job for the lowliest of the lowest servants. Remember how John responded to Jesus when he walked up to him in the Jordan River? Jesus presented himself to be baptized and John looked at him and said, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. John the Baptist recognized his absolute inferiority to this man. John tells the religious leaders, all I'm doing is baptizing with water, but there is someone coming after me. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. And this is obviously after Jesus was baptized. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So when John the Baptist looked at Christ and saw that simple visage of a man, he looked beyond the picture of a man and he declared that he was the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. The language here unmistakably links Jesus to the Old Testament. The lamb was used for sacrifice in the Passover and the sin offering. Genesis 22 tells us Abraham waited a long time for God's promises, promise to be fulfilled to him. And that is that he would receive a son through Sarah that was far past childbearing age. Sarah was like 90 years old and Abraham is what? around 100, I believe, when Isaac is born. Then God spoke to Abraham and tells him to take his only son, Isaac, whom he loved, and go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him there for a burnt offering. Can you imagine what went through Abraham? 
Abraham is a man of faith and obedience. So Abraham gets his servants together and loads up the donkey and takes his son Isaac and starts heading toward Mount Moriah. When they get three days into the journey, Abraham looked up and saw Mount Moriah in the distance. He tells his servants to wait here with the donkey while Isaac and I go and sacrifice to the Lord. Then we will come back. We don't know what Isaac's age was for sure. Some commentators believe he was as much as 13 years old. Isaac speaks up and says, Father. And Abraham replies, Yes, my son. Isaac says, There's fire and wood. He says, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered and said some of the most amazing words we read in the Bible. He said, My son, God Himself will provide the lamb. And we know the rest of that story. God Himself will provide the lamb. And that is a beautiful statement. Because so many years later, as the one whom God provided came walking along the Jordan, John the Baptist looked at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. See, God Himself provided the Lamb. Oh, the goodness, the grace, and tenderness of God. Behold the Lamb. He is here. God Himself has provided the Lamb. Then John goes on in verse 30. This is John the Baptist. He says, This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus, if my study was correct. And yet John says, He was before me. This is a clear reference that before Jesus was incarnate as a man, he existing as the living Word of God. He says, I myself did not know Him. Then he goes on to say, the reason I came baptizing with water was that He might be revealed to Israel. And there, John the Apostle, the writer, reveals the purpose of John the Baptist. He records the direct quote of John the Baptist, giving his purpose. And he says, the reason I came baptizing with water was that He might be revealed. That's an interesting statement. What does water baptism have to do with revealing Jesus? It says that He might be revealed. John the Apostle doesn't explain it. We have to go to Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verse 29. Verse 29 and 30 says, And when all the people heard Him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. This tells us that those who were baptized recognized Jesus. They recognized His words as true, and they accepted God's purpose for their lives. Why? because they had been baptized. What was John's baptism? 
It was a baptism of repentance, wasn't it? And that tells us what repentance can do in the life of an individual. As long as I go around thinking, my life is okay, I'm absolutely closed to the things of God. But when I repent of my sin, when I agree with God's Word and the truth of His Word, that tells me that I am a sinner and that I need Jesus Christ, my eyes are opened. The scales come off of the eyes. And it says that all of those who were baptized, they listened. They heard. They responded. They accepted. But those who weren't baptized, their hearts were shut tight. So let's not minimize the work of repentance even in the life of a believer. Verse 32 John 1. John gave this testimony of what he saw. He said, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. What he is talking about is the fact that God had told him, John the Baptist, that there would be a sign confirming who Jesus actually was, who the Messiah was, and he said that sign would be a descending dove, which would actually be the Holy Spirit. Keep in mind, this is the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus in the form of a dove and remaining on Him. He says in verse 33, I would not have known Him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is He. This is John's recorded testimony. Verse 33, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with waters said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He said he wouldn't have known for sure, for certain, who the Messiah was, except for the identification that God gave him in the sign of the Spirit descending and remaining. And God told him that when you see that happen, that's the one. God gave John the Baptist the sure sign to know the Messiah. He would be the one on whom the Holy Spirit descended upon from heaven. John was a reliable witness regarding Jesus because he had confirmed evidence from God. John came baptizing with water, which symbolized a new start. John's baptism was limited in what it could accomplish. It was a baptism of repentance, and we saw in Luke it opened the hearts of the people to hear the message of Jesus. But it was just a step in opening their hearts to the Lord. John's baptism could not change lives. Verse 34 says, And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John the Apostle was making a very clear statement, saying John the Baptist testified that this is the one. And, the t and testimony was very important to the Jews. The Jews today have taken the Day of Atonement, which was the day that God gave them in the Old Testament. One day out of the year for the high priest to go into the Holy of Holies and offer the blood of a sacrifice first for his sins and then for the sins of the people. This was the, called the Day of Atonement. It was a very holy day on Israel's religious calendar. 
there is no temple today. There's no sacrifice today. There's no altar, at least not one in the temple. So there's no sacrificial system going on. So the Jews today on the Day of Atonement, they have a day of national repentance. The Jews believe that if they come before God on the Day of Atonement once a year and repent of their sin, they will be forgiven. But there's a problem with that. For one, that ignores the fact that Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God who they whom they reject. And secondly, repentance is great, but it can't change your heart. It's not life-changing. In order to have your heart changed, you need something more. I need something more than simply repenting. We need God's Holy Spirit within us, changing us from the inside out. So John's baptism was limited. and He makes the statement here that I baptize with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then he gives the testimony that God told him that the one in whom he sees the Spirit descending, he is the one. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So in Acts, John makes reference to the fact that Jesus would come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. But we don't see this baptism until after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is spoken of here in John, but it doesn't occur until after the death, the burial, the resurrection, and even ascension of Jesus Christ that we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1. Verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Drop down to verse 8, But you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnessed unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So right here from the mouth of Jesus Himself, we see the purpose of baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, but you will receive power. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for power. Power to live that life. Power to say no to sin. Power to witness, power to have victory, power to shine that light for Christ. The sacrifice of this Lamb of God has all the capacity to forgive every sin and cleanse every sinner. It's big enough for the whole world. Again, in verse 36, it says, Behold, the Lamb of God. John had already said this of Jesus in John 1.29. Perhaps by this time after Jesus had returned from His temptations in the wilderness, John said this every time he saw Jesus. To him, it was the most important thing about Jesus. 
So what is our responsibility as we behold the Lamb? Paul tells us in Romans that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Then again, Acts 1, 8. I already read that. I'll read it again. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And also in Matthew 28, we have the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So we all have a responsibility as Christians to show the light and the love of Christ to others. Share with others what He has done for us. I'll close with a, the words of a song that kept going through my mind as I studied for this. The song is, At Calvary. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me, He died on Calvary. Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden so found liberty at Calvary. By God's word at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned, till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden so found liberty at Calvary. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own Him as my King. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Verse 4 says, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. May the Lord add His blessing. Shall we have a song?